It's happy times and places in which I, Toby Haydock, try to accentuate the positive when commentating on a Doctor Who story chosen by a friend of mine, and I have to guess what their favourite things about the particular story are. Hello, um, my name is Paul Cornell, I'm a writer, and um, you can find me on paulcornell.com. And um, my um, story that I'm going to nominate for Toby is The Curse of Peladon. Well, welcome everybody. It is time for the fourth and final part of The Curse of Peladon. I'm just uh, rewinding a little bit uh, because uh, I let it run on a little bit. Uh, for uh, part three that has just finished in Haydoke Towers, but uh, you've had to wait until this instalment for the conclusion that I'm doing straight away afterwards, uh, watching it like I did when I first saw it all those years ago, When, but actually not exactly like, because it didn't have this this uh, exact moment of title sequence, um, because I watched it in two parts, two 50-minute instalments edited together in a season called Doctor Who and the Monsters. Uh, that my mum had noticed in the paper and uh, uh, didn't know what Doctor and the Monsters was. Oh, it was just an umbrella for a title for a season of repeats. I knew what The Curse of Peladon was because we had the book. So this was very, very exciting. And what's even more exciting, everybody, is that Paul Cornell, writer of Father's Day and Human Nature, Family of Blood, two of the finest stories to have been broadcast under the Doctor Who banner since 2005. I'm a big fan of New Who, let's call it that for convenience sake. Uh, and I, I'm i a big fan of Paul's contributions. Would love to see him do some more. Uh, I think he's produced fine work. Um, so I'm delighted that I've chosen two of the same things as Paul. <gasps> so we have two things to choose. A thing from this episode and an overall bonus thing. Let's see if I can, uh, for the second time only, and I've got this close a couple of times and blown it by being stupid. So <laughs> I'm going to keep an eagle eye on this episode and look for brilliant things. So I'm going to press play in three, two, one. It's the Curse of Peladon. Now, uh, I've got it on pause so it's played straight away, whereas last, last episode I... Uh, I, I pressed select and it took forever so I, I have to say you deserve points if you manage to sync up entirely with my viewing uh, the Doc 2 logo has just turned green for those of you that want to do that um, so and one of the things that surprised me when uh, I came to learn about the Curse of Peladon uh, many years later that is that uh, it's in an absolute uh, mess uh, so we didn't have uh, Arcturus's gun then, did we? Uh, oh, Arcturus is dead. So now, and it's interesting how quickly this sort of switcheroo happens. Uh, so we've we've cut. Uh, they they haven't messed around. Hepesh and the captain, you know, shoot off. Where because frankly they've 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 shown their cards in in the form of a massive sword that they threw at Grun. Although Grun is still trusted to be the king's champion because he was sort of being done as he was doing as he was told by by Hepesh but so Hepesh and the captain have just gone so none of this sort of courtly intrigue anymore uh we we you know he's 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 out in the open uh 
and 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 that's the, the starkness of that is is matched by the starkness of the cut we didn't wait for an outcome of of that scene up in the bunker and getting the doctor out of the out of the uh out of the pit of fighting is just straight back into the throne room uh and uh you know making a plan of action and all being on the same page which i think is 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 a nice piece of economy and it sets up the final episode um uh you know in a in a completely different direction now so Hepish's plan is out in the open so now he's going to enact it so suddenly the stakes are you know uh, having had to do sort of negotiation and little bits of character plotting and um, you know setting up of ghosts and moving of statues and all that sort of thing now uh, now it's full-blown insurrection uh, so that's quite a nice escalation of the of the story uh, <laughs> I uh now, yeah, so uh, a, a couple of things surprised me about this because we di I did the commentary for this and we had um, Terence Dix, Barry Letts, Chris Doyley-John, Katie Manning for the whole of the four episodes. Um, and I think, as I say, I think we thought we couldn't get David Troughton because he's a terribly grand theatre actor. And in fact, he's always perfectly happy to talk about Doctor Who and his lovely... Um, I don't know if they even tried his Anne Churchman. See, I wasn't at the I wasn't at the planning level at, at that stage. I suggested Ralph Watson for Monster of Peladon, but um, but but I got bolder as time went on. This is a nice little uh, creep into to Grun to suggest that he's uh, uh, he's uh, he's uh, oh he's he's colluding with the Doctor, but actually he's not, is he? Because he's he might be doing something with Peladon. I like, I like, I like, I like the little moments with with Grun, where you know that Grun is a good guy, but you also know he's prone to do as he's told by by uh, by Hepesh, um, and he's he's a nice sort of additional character. I like the whole dynamic with Grun uh, in this uh, uh, because it, it it does actually su surprise you a couple of times, uh, and there's and there's something nice about you know unspoken things i like an unspoken thing because i'm a because i'm a man and i don't, don't and using words to express feelings or solidarity or or anything at all is an anathema and i know that might seem a surprise to people who listen to this where i don't shut up <laughs> but um yeah anyway i like grun is what i'm trying to say but i'm saying it using way too many words so actually disproving the point i'm making um so yes we had uh, those four and we didn't have Isan Churchman and and in fact they didn't interview her for the for the thing and so I assumed that she was either too old or too poorly or not interested uh, and then actually I interviewed her with, with Phantom Films uh, and she was perfectly willing she was perfectly game and that was about 10 years later so I don't know if she was overlooked if the fact that she was in Birmingham meant that she was deemed too far away which I think a mistake so Izan is not in is not on any of the uh in a new interview i know there's archive stuff of her where she doesn't she say i i based the voice of alpha centauri on a homosexual uh civil servant or something <laughs> um uh but i very odd that she's she's not on the dvds where um 
had I had it not been the second DVD I'd have been involved in, I'd have perhaps asked asked a few more questions as as to that. Um, uh, and Benny and I know had had contributed to the Seeds of Death very unwillingly because he kind of felt he'd said all he had to say. And then by the time that these came along, it was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not interested. And um, as I said, I had two different friends promise me because they sort of knew him. Uh, that they'd uh, get me a, a signed picture of him, and neither of them did. Um, and uh, um, but yeah, but, uh, um, and and Sonny's not on on these either. And then, then we did get him for later DVDs. So I don't know what happened with the with the the the, the Peladon. I can't even remember the the making of documentary. But if it's just the same people that are on the commentary, I shall be livid because that's my pet hate when there's a story that is represented by loads and loads of people. Uh, because you would think, ah, oh, they're just being, you know, they're, they're being financially conscious because they've got the commentary and then they do the making of uh, and just film the people they've got for the commentary. No, very, very rarely was the making of filmed on the same day in the same place let alone even by the same team as the commentary so if the commentary and the making of have the same people it's it's a laziness but not of geography and availability because they'd have to rebook and repay everybody as i say there are exceptions um i, I love gran <laughs> and i i love all this this uh uh th this fight where you know he he gets punched and doesn't feel anything and then he picks the guy up and i like that going out of focus and then the George Giles being very, yeah, being, oh, and then Grun gets hit on the head by a rock, which you could do in the 1970s and not cause the inevitable brain damage that it would now. But I like that sequence with Grun because it's everything that's good about him. He tries to get Hepesh, he fails to be understood, so he tries to drag him along. Then he has a fight where he's uh, impervious to the punching, picks a guy up, stands bravely, and then gets hit on the head by a rock. Um... I love the way that, see, this is a brilliant thing about democracy. Uh, <laughs> has to be unanimous. Uh, and we go, well, that's a good thing. Uh, uh, but then they intimidate Alpha Centauri. And you go, well, we only like that because they've made Alpha Centauri vote for what we want. If it was the other way around, we'd cry foul. And that's democracy in a nutshell. Um, not playing fair is all right if it gets the result I want because, well, I'm on the side of good. Uh, and this is where most political discussions are terribly flawed at the moment because everybody seems to think what they think is right and should be achieved by any means necessary, which is not what democracy is. <laughs> and that, and I'm afraid both sides of most of the arguments happening at the moment don't seem to be able to take an objective view. Um uh, but objectively there, Alpha Centauri was basically bullied into uh, voting. So that was imposed democracy, which uh, uh, is, uh, is an oxymoron. Um, and of course, this is wonderful, of course, because Joe's platform is, uh, is, 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 is a fairly fragile one, i.e. she's not a princess from Earth. Oh, and then we've had the whammy of going, oh yeah, and you're going to marry King Peladon. And she's sort of been painted, so she's in two corners at the moment. She's in the corner where she, that she's painted herself into that she's uh, a princess from Earth. And everybody else has painted this other corner that's got flowers uh, and uh, wedding bands on it. Um, oh. 
nice bit of sorg action um so the other the other thing that i didn't uh i can't remember what that's about so, so is, is that is that their communicator device has been uh communicator why did i pronounce it like that their communicator device has been uh sabotaged um gran it's it, gran is a bit like lassie isn't he Oh, 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 what do you mean Hepesh has fallen down a well? <laughs> uh, now, Gran's got pink hair as well, so he, he's not of royal blood, unless there's a special way of producing the king's champion. Anyway, let's, let's not get into that. Uh, love a bit of Agador. Um, not frightened, I am big chap like you. I love that. <laughs> Um, yeah, quite right. I, I like the fact that she's 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 put on a slight princess hoity toitiness there, isn't hasn't she as well? It's like I'm, I'm a princess, don't you know? Um, <laughs> so what's what's this sorg? Is Leo? Oh, we, 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 our, our spaceship's fallen down a cliff, and uh, I'm not really a princess. Um, so that's nice. Uh, the, 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 the good guys are suddenly sort of besieged. So for all the power that they represent, they are actually only representatives. So uh, in a sense, it's like, yeah, it's like a load of ambassadors have been kidnapped and uh, now being held in the embassy. It's sort of who dares wins uh, with John Pertwee as Lewis Collins. <laughs> uh, so it's a it's a sort of civil war, and I seem to recall the the sword fight uh, here being uh, uh, a pretty. Oh yeah, so uh, and that's difficult because these guys would have been actually serving with each other not that long ago. Yeah, no, must before the king. But you could kill you could kill your mates who you used to stand guard with just by accident of the fact that they're they're the ones guarding the palace and you're the ones not. I just find that a bit mean. Uh, this is this is brilliant. Uh, the, the 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 conversation that Islia and Joe try to have while Alpha Centauri <laughs> hassles Sorg, who doesn't know where to look. I love Alpha Centauri, one of the great... I think both Islia and Alpha Centauri uh, are really excellent Doctor Who characters uh, in every respect. Uh, writing, performance, conception, everything. This is a great sword fight. Really hard to do in a studio. It's nicely... Cause, and a lot of sword fights in Doctor Who look crap because they're, the, the, you have to be quite careful in a studio. There's a lot of people here. You can hear the metal of the swords. It's like a proper stage fight, um, clearly by people that sort of know what they're doing. And there's, there's the God Thrust as well, especially which is especially good seeing as uh, you, you can't really hide anything because everybody's got rather a lot of flesh on display. Uh, oh, is that Peter Brace? Um, sorry, I played spot the stuntman. Never spotted him before. Might not have been. Um, and I love the uh, the disappointment that he has because he's essentially, you know, his 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 dad. I mean, he's not. He's a high priest, but he's his his mentor. You could go a stranger to me, and I and I and I like the fact that and, and none of it's. There's, there's no sort of hatred 
between either of them, even though they're completely at odds. I think it's it's quite a sort of mature depiction of, uh, you know, difference of, of opinion. In fact, they conduct themselves rather better than I would say our politicians do today. So there's something to be said for a feudal medieval system. <laughs> no, but I, I, you know, but at least there's a, even though Hepesh is deeply flawed and hypocritical, he, he at least has a, he conducts himself with some semblance of honour, although that's even more hypocritical. You could argue, I suppose, that at least today's politicians are honest in their dishonesty, but I, 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 I actually prefer it if, if the ship of state at least um, is, is guided with some sense of ceremony that, 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 that uh, makes it seem like it's doing things properly. Um, but maybe that's uh, maybe I'm easily uh, distracted by ceremony. Uh, mm, I don't know. I don't know. It's not anyway. That, this isn't a political podcast. This is a Doctor Who podcast. Um, he's got a wonderful voice, hasn't he, old uh, uh, Jeffrey Toon? Um, and yes, the doc, the the the. Uh, oh, and I keep meaning to say. So, because I was so familiar with uh, The Curse of Peladon, I was quite surprised to discover, I think episode three, didn't it have to be baked in order to be rescued? Maybe it was episode two, that it was in such a mess. Uh, and I think this is, a, this is all reverse standards convention. Um, so it's, it's, it's an American print that, that has slightly less clarity uh, and fluid movement than the original would have done. But actually, I, I don't, necessarily think that does these stories a, a disservice it, it, it makes them just seem slightly more filmic in a way um much as i love the beautiful immediacy and cleanness and sharpness of the image of videotape uh, i i accept this as a compromise but I, I also accept that that means that these things don't look quite as they would have done uh the uh, the reverse standard conventions episodes as as the ones that we have in their you know on their proper proper videotape, so the the part we are interestingly is a, is a weird menagerie of different uh, styles, um, just because of you know where we retain them from, but but I know that and and are we going to have a big big old zoom? Yeah, it's a slightly oh that's a decent zoom. Oh, uh, and this. This is the source of the great holy flaming cow anecdote that Barry Letts wrote in Doctor Who Celebration. Terence Dix stole uh, in the DVD commentary. Uh, and, and if you don't know the anecdote, I'm sorry if I've told this in one of the previous episodes. It was a couple of weeks ago that I was watching or last week. Short term memory is the first to go. Um, but basically on the original take, when Agador walked in, the extras basically didn't pay much attention. And Lenny Main said this big bear's walked in you wouldn't just go uh, look at it and not say anything you'd look at it and say holy flaming cow uh, and of course some dignitaries are being shown round bbc television center uh and they walk in as soon as everybody turns around on take two and shouts in unison holy flaming cow although hear me flaming cow is a sort of of course a euphemism for more colorful language um that's the anecdote barry Letts tells it in a celebration terence nicked it uh, in in the commentary of this, uh, store by is yours now. 
I, I always think you could do a slightly better line than you set so much store by it. See, that seems a little prosaic to me, but uh, Jeffrey Toon does it well and it's terribly, terribly sad and he puts a hanky over his face and it makes me want to cry. Uh, I think that's really nice. Oh, they're waiting for you. Oh, Joe, you know. Ex oh, I love that. She's she's oh, I love that because she's going, this is what you have to do. You're the king. They're waiting for you. This is your role, you know, and that's the that's that's what I mean. I think about politics is that sometimes you have to be sort of more than human. You have to be your role in politics. And if that means showing a bit more dis decorum, uh, not being snipey, not being insulting, not not swear, you know, whatever it is that you do. That makes the office of state. Um, that gives it the, the 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 grandiosity that it needs in order to make us respect it. You know, I think that's all part of it. That's why I don't I don't like you know politicians squabbling like the rest of us on Twitter or whatever. They should be better than that. And I, and and again, I love this that the oh, I love this bit that the that the king that the that the that the commander gives him the sword to say you know slay me i've been bad god i'm a sucker for <laughs> that sort of thing uh, and he and i love the way he says your majesty it's really moving it's a kind of yeah but that is i love the way he does your majesty as if he's saying you know just thanks for sparing my life i think there's a lot there's a lot unsaid in that i think that's wonderful although you know wiping wiping the memory of this from our history books is a bit like so you okay so that's uh, that's propaganda then isn't it that's uh, never trust never trust the paperwork is what they're saying <laughs> um so but i i was because terence dicks not only nicked the anecdote he nicked barry Letts's euphemistic use of the phrase holy flaming cow which is of course not what lenny main said although a friend of mine did write to an to nina thomas from this is how doctor who fans are funny sometimes he said and and she'd answered the question about lenny may saying no i thought he was lovely actually and i said oh what what, what question did you ask then that she's refuted and he said oh well i, I wrote and said uh, lenny main was by repute a foul-mouthed aussie uh, who swore at inopportune moments did you like you know was he awful to work with and you go no you've you've interpreted a really nice fun anecdote about lenny being a bit sweary when some dignitaries were coming round and and turned it into a really negative thing and you can see how stuff gets sort of turned by you know whenever anyone's writing the history of something they want to sort of scoop you know and and so so even with the the, the little bits of evidence you have you can turn it into a tabloid headline if you want they've turned that fun story into lenny main was awful and you get really and also that's not what you write when you're writing a letter to an actor either but anyway long time ago they were young um uh but uh what it what it did mean that I got to hear that, that Terence Dix, who also, by the way, did I tell you this in episode two? I might have done, so I'll be brief. Um, I, I mean, David Trent was wearing a wig here, but he had a full head of ha head of hair. And I think, it was he Colin Baker's flatmate at this point? He was certainly his best man. So they all know each other. It's lovely. Um, but Terence spent the whole of the commentary going, look at him, bald old coot now, because they just, I think, had, had Midnight been on? Maybe it had, yeah, maybe. I think Midnight had just been on, which is, I think, another reason people thought, well, he won't want to be associated with Old Who because he's a new Who. Um, uh, I may have got my dates wrong there. I may have got my dates wrong. But certainly David Troughton had been in something 
where he was, to quote Terence Dix, a bald old coot. And he kept saying it, and it's not in the finished track at all. So Mark Ayres has clearly got a bin somewhere where he's got the phrase bald old coot. Uh, and <laughs> I say that as a, as a yeah, bald old coot myself. Um, and as I say, I'm quoting lovely Terence, who had a full head of hair right to the end. Um, I, I, I loved the, uh, the King Peladon and Joe kiss. That was as racy as Doctor Who got, and I, I totally was, totally believing their, their love story, and was sort of a bit disappointed that she didn't go with him. I, I would have happily, I buy their relationship, I totally buy their relationship. But obviously, as a fan and as a viewer, I want Joe to stay. But I know she'd have been happy with King Peladon. I think, I think Katie Manning acts it absolutely beautifully. The pair of them do. Um, uh. Oh, but what Terence Dix still... I'll get to the end of this anecdote. Uh, oh, well, not quite yet. This is Wendy Danvers. Uh, as I record this, uh, Wendy is in her early 90s. I've met her a couple of times. I've, I've had a Chinese meal with her. She used to live, I think, next door to Hannah Gordon. She lives in the same sort of 15-mile radius as mr and mrs ollis from the three doctors so i think that the lenny main rep all live within quite a small area of each other and actually bernard cribbins as well is not far from them but she is one of the few people who says doctor who uh, and she gets the close-up at the end but she she was she, she was a, a, an extra in the canteen in the bill wendy so she's not always had credited roles but uh, what she gets in doctor who for her tiny appearance is not only does she get to say doctor who but she gets the final close-up which i think is fabulous seeing as she hasn't been in it at all and it's the lovely it's the you know waiting for godot except godot has turned up at the end uh, and she plays amazonia um but the end of my anecdote is that when episode two finished uh, of the commentary and Terence Dix had said holy flaming cow several times and Barry Letts was a gentleman so he didn't go oi you've nicked my anecdote he just very quietly uh, note to self bleep this in a minute um, he just very quietly said actually what he said was holy beeping beep <laughs> <laughs> so I heard now I've bleeped that out because I don't I don't really want to swear on these I, I try not to swear if i'm talking about doctor who people who've seen my stand-up comedy know i've got uh, I'm, I'm, I'm as foul-mouthed as they come but it just seems I, I i try and set myself the task to uh at least keep this family friendly uh, as is because that's what doctor who is and if doctor who can tell stories about the near death of the entire universe without anyone saying then i i can i can uh, i can talk about the curse of peladon without so doing as well so i'm gonna have to um oh that, that's the start of the sea devils which sounds like it's going at three miles an hour and is in gravy but that's a story for another time somebody has chosen the sea devils actually um so that's one for the future um there's still i mean i've got loads that have been chosen and the sea devils has been uh, steve hatcher who has chosen it has recorded his reasons i obviously haven't seen them yet uh most of the stories are out on a promise some haven't been bought dinner yet um but some are still waiting uh, and and people keep uh what is it flicking left on grinder when they see them to some surprising stories i mean fury from the deep and the abominable snowmen uh uh 
the Ark. The, I mean, the, the Ark's not a massive surprise, but uh, Megloss, Revenge of the Cybermen's only just gone. Um, anyway, that's just all stories for another time because I have to choose. I've got a feeling I told you a couple of those DVD anecdotes before, but um, seeing as Terence Dix <laughs> not only told anecdotes over and over again, also stole other people's, I think I've done that in his honour, uh, if that was repetitive. <laughs> oh, he was such a nice guy. So, uh, my two favourite things about uh, that episode, bearing in mind that poor Cornell uh, uh, and I uh, uh, well we're not no we're not even Stevens I'm I'm one ahead um so what am I thinking I like the sword fight I think the sword fight's very very well done but Paul is a writer uh, I love the bit where the captain you know where the captain offers the sword and Peladon doesn't take it and the captain does the your majesty so so many tiny moments speaking volumes but i think that might be a me thing i think that might be <laughs> i don't know i can't i can't not mention alpha centauri can i alpha centauri is a thing of genius uh i think katie manning's performance is magnificent I love John Pertwee in this. I think this this story fits Pertwee like a glove. He's so at home in the uh, in the catacombs and the palace in the palace of Peladon. But then in the catacombs, he's he's at home with the gentry and the court manners. But he's at home scratching the the space dog behind the ear. That's why he's so good. Is that he he knows protocol wherever it is, if you like. Uh, you know, he's he's got the protocol of the of the gutter and the protocol of the the court. Uh, he's you know he's not he's not the snob he's always he's always uh, renowned for being. Um, I like that King Peladon and Hepesh aren't really enemies, you know, or 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 at least there's still some semblance of sort of respect. And the fact that you know the death of the bad guy. Brings tears from the good guy. I really like that. I really like that. The, the cost. And it's an interesting... That's an interesting thing. The cost of doing this thing that they want to do. Enter the Galactic Federation. You know, it, it comes at a cost. It comes on turning your back on a friend. Um, losing friends. I mean, yeah, gosh, I know people who... Uh, sort of have lost friends through one side of Brexit or the other, which seems 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 harsh to lose a friend. Uh, or maybe I'm maybe I'm not committed. Oh, I like to think I'm committed to my worldview and I know what I think is right, but I also think the thing that's most right is to keep talking, even to people that disagree with you. Um oh see this it's almost this is almost worse than having nothing to lose because it's that point now where i feel a bit i feel a bit sick because i know that whatever i commit to i've got the side the other side of my head going yeah but what if what am i not choosing that what if i don't choose that and that is the thing 
It's I, it would almost be better to be three nil down because then I could just choose and not worry. Um, but I also know that Islia is one of Paul Cornell's favourite characters in Doctor Who. But he's chosen the Ice Warriors being good. Can he? Can he do both? Uh, I mean, I, I loved Katie Manning's performance in that that last scene and the bit between her and King Peladon. But we have already done their thing. Oh, 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 oh! I'm going to choose. This is so hard. I mean, well done, Curse of Peladon, for having so many things. I'm going to choose Alpha Centauri. I mean, it's slightly political there just because Alpha Centauri is so good. Part of me thinks Paul can't not choose Alpha Centauri. And I'm going to choose the fact that, you know, it's not good is and bad is that the, the, the respect between Hepesh and, and, and Peladon. And that's a nod to Jeffrey Toon and David Tratton as, as well, who, do, who, do, who both do an excellent job. But I feel, you see, I've been slightly unfair on the regulars there because uh, this is definitely one where I could easily have chosen one other or both of the regulars, who I both think are excellent in this. But I put myself out of my misery. Uh, uh, yeah, so, so the relationship between Hepish and the King, the fact that the bad guys aren't bad guys. And I suppose I could sort of include the guard captain being honourable at the end in that bit as well <laughs> if I want to have my cake and eat it uh, all that chivalry stuff, that's not chivalry all that um, uh, you know uh, but, but yeah what it is isn't it it's, it's, yeah, but, yes alright whatever that is uh, and Alpha Centauri that's easier to say let's see what Paul says um, and finally um, from episode four, my favourite thing is Sorg's Sonic Cannon, oh. which was majorly interesting to me, fascinating as a small child. And that interest continued on to um, the presence of the Ice Warriors in the Doctor Who magazine comic strip and their weaponry within. And indeed, in the first role-playing games I created when I was little, which um, often had Doctor Who and Blake Seven things in, and Ice Warrior Sonic Cannons were very important in those. Uh, well, uh, before we get onto the bonus thing, so we're now to all... I, I mean, I was nowhere near Sorg's Sonic Cannon. I do like Sorg's Sonic Cannon, and I think I do prefer the Sonic Cannon to the to the to the handguns. But I think that's because the first I knew of Ice Warriors and guns was was them having a a Sonic Cannon, and it is a rather special thing, isn't it? Uh, but I was nowhere near that, so I'll let Paul have that. So we're on a knife edge. Let's see what he chooses, but. To be fair, he could still choose either of my things. And uh, if I might be allowed another thing, my bonus thing is the novelisation itself, which is a thing of beauty. And I read it so many times in my youth. And it, the warmth and comfort and um, sense of joy it gave me back then is incalculable. And I think it's very well written by Brian Hales. And I think it's got a, a, a very nice atmosphere. It brings over um, the events of the story with a much bigger budget than was seen on screen. Oh, well, I'm gutted. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I'm not that gutted because at least he didn't choose any of the other things that I listed. So is that better? That is better. It doesn't feel any better now. But in the cold light of day, if he'd chosen two of the other things I mentioned, it'd be like, why didn't I choose those? But I didn't even consider choosing 
the sonic canon or the novelization which are both things that i think are well worthy of choosing and i think i should maybe think outside the box but i'm gutted bernard bernard my dog's looking at me you look at my disappointment to you yeah quickly depart the men in clutch um oh it's it's not the disappointment it's the hope i can't stand um so anyway uh, Paul was about to plug his wares there. Everybody takes part in this, uh, does so for free and in their own time, and lends uh, my Wittering's great credibility, not least uh, Doctor Who writer and author extraordinaire, Paul Cornell, and here's him plugging his things. Uh, so that's it. Um, also, I'm on Twitter as uh, Paul underscore Cornell, and I'm the co-host of the Hammer House of Podcast. Have fun with this one, Toby. Bye. Well, I did have fun. I think that was an excellent story. Paul's Hammer podcast is superb that he does with Elizabeth Miles. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're uh, if you're looking to get a break from my ramblings, repeated anecdotes and tedious facts about actors you'd not even noticed, uh, listen to Paul's uh, Hammer House of uh, podcast. Uh, there's loads of episodes out there now. Uh, and... Uh, you know, it's got some great content. And uh, as you can hear, he's a very affable and interesting guy. I'm very grateful to him um, for being so key. He was one of the first people to reply to me uh, about this podcast and to um, make that contribution. And he's made me, was well, not made me, but he's led to me watching and really enjoying The Curse of Peladon. So I hope you did too. Uh, I'd kind of like to watch it again without some talking all the way through it uh you have that option um so uh, i'd advise you so to do it's much better that way um but for me and i hope for you uh peladon was the very definition of a happy time and place until next time bye bye Thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest this time around is Paul Cornell. You know him, and he's at paulcornell.com. He's on Twitter at Paul underscore Cornell, and do check out his Hammer House of Podcast. Talking of podcasts, these would not be possible without the kindness of patrons who include Ruben Herfindahl, Peter Burns, Peter Harness, Rob Leonard, Stephen Moffat, Richard Straw, Nick Tedston, Luke Atkins, Peter Adamson, Kevin Ashelford, Will Brooks, Rick Byatt, Robin Bland, Alex Kapajoglu, Paul Carnahan, Andy Case, John Curley, Mark Dakin, John Ellidge, Gary Gillett, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, David Green and Dave Hoskin. The music is by another Dave, Dave Gates, and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. three Daves in a row makes you sound like a rather Dave-heavy uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, there's, the, there's other Dave, proper Dave, and musical Dave, I guess. Um, listen, if you would like to join their number, the, the patrons, not the Daves, although if you're called Dave, I'm happy to take... Uh, what's the collective noun for a, for a, a Rodney of Daves? <laughs> uh, that's one of the best lines in the whole of comedy when... Um, because triggering only fools and horses calls Rodney Dave, and then when Rodney has a baby, uh, no, well, Den ha Del has a Den Del has a baby. They're considering calling 
Rodney. Um, and he says, you know, you're going to call it so-and-so after my mum. Or if it's a boy, they're going to call it Rodney. Uh, and Trigger goes, Who that's, uh, who's that after? And Rodney goes, well, me. And Trigger does a dim look. And then later, so what are they going to call it? Well, if it's a blah, blah, blah they're going to call it after them. They're gonna, if it's a girl, they're going to call it Blurdy Blur after their mother. Uh, and if it's a boy, they're going to call it Rodney after Dave. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, look, if you, <laughs> I'm sure there's no only Fools and Horses podcast where they do that properly. Anyway, if you want to be one of the Daves or other people who is a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock, where for as little as three pounds a month, you could have listened to this in February. I don't know when you're listening to it, but this is going out to patrons in February 2022. Uh, and you get advanced releases bonus goodies and the chance to chitter chat and do some other things the tiers as i say start from as low as three pounds a month and go up i mean you can give me a million pounds a month if you want nobody has yet be the first um or if you don't want to get tied to a month but would still like to occasionally throw the odd uh, shekel my way you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash toby Haydock, where you can just do whatever you like whenever you like um but that is all very much appreciated uh, and i'm grateful to everyone that has and continue so to do. Mostly, to be honest, though, I'm, you know, flabbergasted that people listen to this stuff and from the feedback I get seem to like it. So thank you for that. Feedback is very important, uh, especially, I'm afraid, <laughs> the public kind. So if you can go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, but especially iTunes really helps, and give these five stars, that helps to separate us from the crowd don't know why i keep saying us it's me helps to separate this podcast from all the other doc 2 podcasts and indeed all the excellent podcasts out there there's lots of excellent doc 2 podcasts and if you could give a few lines of review as well to give people something to read uh, that would send them this way that just means that this what i'm doing now when i should be i don't know stroking my dog talking to my partner doing some diy uh, is not is not wasted time thank you ever so much <laughs> It's been a rough day in Whoville today as I record this on the 24th of January. The news has come through of the death of Spencer Chapman, who designed Dalek Invasion of Earth and Space Museum, and Valentine Palmer, who was a lovely chap who uh, was Monia in Day of the Daleks. Uh, he died a couple of weeks ago, but the news has been announced today. And I'd done Who's Round interviews with both of them. Uh, and I, I went to look for a photo of Valentine and realised I didn't have one. It was such an early one. I remember I pressed the wrong button on the recorder, so I recorded the ambient sound. So there's lots of clatter of the, the cafe that we're in and and Leth and Valentine is quieter and it's not the best recording. I think I went, oh, why don't I get the whole room? Well, th there's a reason that you don't get the whole room. You get the person you're talking to. Um, and I didn't even take a photograph. Oh, um, it was very, very early days ah, look, in the grand scheme of things. That's nothing, is it? But uh, I was lucky to have met the fellow. But yeah, I need a souvenir. We need the trinkets, don't we? Very silly. Anyway, so what a day. What a day in Doctor Whoville. But uh, the other side of that is that um, my guest on the show is a Doctor Who writer. Uh, mustn't take that sort of thing for granted. Um, thanks to Paul for giving his time. Because, you know, he's he's legitimate. Whereas uh, I'm just an anthropomorphised anorak. But, um, well, look, I, I quite enjoyed doing Curse of Henrik. But it's a, it's a sad time we are 
Uh, our heroes are a dwindling resource. Uh, I'm lucky to have met so many. And I'm lucky that you guys listen to this stuff. Otherwise, I don't quite know what I'd do with my time. I suppose I'd just... Huh, if a character actor dies and, and no, no, nobody's there to report it to the internet, where the character actor dies and Toby doesn't notice, does that mean whatever, whatever, whatever? Ah, oh dear. Okay. Bernard's asleep. I need to cut. I need to cut the hair between his paws. He doesn't like me doing it, but he'll get arthritis unless I give him a. I have to do drive-by snippage, so uh, I might try and do that before I go to bed. Night.